Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Catholic retailers, business owners, and ministry leaders. Don't miss the Catholic Marketing Network Momentum 2019 event. Attend seminars that teach how to apply best business practices to any kind of business or ministry. Experience one-of-a-kind networking opportunities and browse the trade show exhibit hall full of Catholic resources and gifts from all over the world. Visit catholicmarketing.com trade show page to find out how you can be a part of this event that helps Catholics build personal and professional momentum. Celebrate our God-given freedom and faith while honoring our Blessed Mother with Girelli's USA Rosary. Each state is represented on this rosary's 50 beads. Red, white, and blue enamel adorn its patriotic crucifix. Get yours today. Shop www.ghirelli.com. Bless the fruit of thy Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and Come, Holy Spirit, for the hearts of your faith, for enkindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created. Let us pray. O God, that instruct the hearts of your faithful by lay the Holy Spirit. Grant that by the same Spirit may be truly wise, and never rejoice in his consolation to the same Christ our Lord. Amen. O Lady Guadalupe, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Terry, pray for us. St. pray for us. O God's angels and saints, pray for us. Good morning. Good morning. Last week is a week that should really be a week that motivates us to really get to know Christ better. And that was the fruit, uh, intimate knowledge of Jesus, that we love him more ardently and follow him more closely. If you are making uh, an Ignatian retreat, which lasts a month, uh, uh, might be a silent directed retreat. Usually, going to be spending 11 to 12 days in the public life of Christ. So it's it's four four weeks, but it's not a chronological week, but rather um, a block of meditations that you have to obtain the specific fruits. But the public life is usually 11 to 12 days, which would be uh, more than a third, more than a third of the whole retreat. And uh, you can be meditating five hours a day, so five hours for 11 days or 12 days, you know, you're meditating, contemplating the life of Christ for 50 to 60 hours, begging for that grace to have a deep knowledge of Christ, that you love him more ardently, you follow him more closely. So having finished that week, it should be, it should be your, your pursuit, your goal to really live that out, to really get to know Christ better. But not, not simply uh, a head knowledge, but also to love him, love him more ardently. Then if you know him, you love him, then you want to follow him. You might even connect that to the call of the king. You want to bring other people to Christ. Because if you really love something or someone, you want to make that person known. 
You really love Christ. You want to make him known. The last words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 28, were, Go out to the whole world. Tell them all I taught you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'll be with you always until the end of the world. Those are the last words of Christ. Then he ascends into heaven. It's his missionary mandate. That he, it's not a conditional clause, but it's a moral imperative, so to speak, okay? That we really have to try to carry out the words of Christ. <clears throat> a missionary seal, you love Christ. Bring Christ to others. A beautiful example is the Blessed Mother who, when she says yes to Christ, she, she goes as a missionary of charity to her cousin Elizabeth and she brings the good news of Christ to her cousin. So we're called to bring Jesus to others and bring bring Jesus to others and others to Jesus. Okay? Both that. All right. Um, one last word on the week that we just finished and it's this. That uh, the mystery of the Eucharist is a mystery and a gift that can never, we can never plumb the depths of the mystery of the Eucharist. Because if we want to ask where Christ is, Christ is present in the church, which is his mystical body. He said, I'm with you always until the end of the world. Then he go, and, he, and then he ascends into heaven. It seemed to be almost paradoxical. He said, I'll be with you. Then he disappears through the clouds. No? What does that mean? No? Well, he's present in various ways. He was present in his physical presence for 33 years, uh, 2,000 years ago. But he's present in his sacramental presence until the end of the world. So not very far from us, we have... The church, we got the Blessed Sacrament. Jesus is truly present in the Blessed Sacrament. So try, make an effort to upgrade your, your faith, your love, your devotion toward the Eucharist. Uh, make, a, make an effort to, to go in that area. And you read the lives of the saints, you're going to be maybe embarrassed to see how much they love the Eucharist and how far we are from that. Any, any saint for that matter. There's the saints that receive their sanctity from Christ. Christ is present in the mystical body of the church. Most especially he's present in the great gift of the Eucharist. So, um, try to prepare yourself better to receive the Eucharist. Try to make better thanksgivings. Try to bring more to the Eucharist. You know, if we put all the people's prayers together from the beginning of time until the end of the world, all those prayers uh, falls far pale of the value of one Mass and one Holy Communion. And I'm not using hyperbole. No? 
So I think one of the reasons why we don't really grow in holiness is because we don't understand that fact. You know, the, the highway to holiness is the Eucharist. But you have to prepare yourself. Personally, I love it when, uh, when, when Father Larry, my superior, gives me the 8 o'clock Mass in the morning. Every Mass is important. <clears throat> and I'll tell you why. It's because usually I'm preparing for that Mass two hours. I've got my holy hour. My, my holy hour is, 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 is longer than an hour. I go, an hour for me is, is not long enough. I have to have more time. And then I go into the church. I do the liturgy of the hours. You know? So I'm preparing two hours for that Mass. And then I make a half hour Thanksgiving. And I feel the presence. You know? I feel like I'm a gangbuster the whole day. You know? When I have the 6.15 Mass, it's fine. You know, but I... I really, I feel weaker during the day. I do. I feel weaker spiritually because 6.15 in the evening, no? But uh, God will bless me because I'm just obeying my superior, so the great, God's grace will, will never fail, no? <clears throat> you give me the 8 o'clock mass. I'm a gangbuster. <laughs> so I really believe in trying to prepare for it. And uh, Whereas the 6.15, usually I'm Often I'm, I'm, I'm teaching up until 6.10. I mean, I have to do that. And afterward, right afterward, I've got to give a class usually at 7 o'clock, so I don't, well, I purposely cannot do a formal preparation. But I think God accepts my work, right? Mm. Um, you know, God wants me to preach and teach, too. So, But a formal preparation where you're preparing yourself, So in my holy hour this morning, I was I was preparing myself, but I got the message 12 noon. So I was preparing myself for that. Can I tell you one of my intentions? Yes. Can I? Okay, one was this: uh, praying that uh, all the people, all the people that I meet in my life, and that includes you people, beg in that mass forgiveness for your sins. That God would have mercy on you. That that mass will repair for all of your sins, and also that it will prevent future sins. Yeah, because I'm I'm just keenly aware of the power of the mass, and I'm I try to take advantage of it. Sad to say that this is coming. No, uh, uh, this is coming. I'm not going to say 33 years late, but it's becoming more and more clear now as I head toward the twilight of my existence, as the poet says, no? <laughs> if I live to be 80, I've already lived 80% of my life, so I'm at the other part of the bridge, as they say, right? <laughs> but really, I'm, uh, I'm, um, I'm trying to really live the Mass more fully. And I think most Catholics, 99% of the Catholics, are just touching the very tip of the iceberg. And what, I, I really believe that the primary reason why people leave the Catholic Church and they're leaving like droves now. I mean, the church is, is being depleted, you know. Uh, you might say, well, you know, the scandals in the church. 
well, partially. Uh, maybe people don't like the choir. Yeah, partially. <laughs> maybe the, maybe preaching is mediocre. Okay, partially. Maybe you don't like the church architecture. Well, okay, maybe an arts major. Okay, maybe. Okay. Maybe you don't like the, the babies crying during the mass. It bothers me more than you. <laughs> I have a very high-tuned hearing when that breaks out. <laughs> but I think the primary reason why people leave the church is John chapter 6. It's in my theology course. No? Your people have lost belief in the real presence. Or maybe they never maybe they never had it in the first place. No? So like I were to offer you I were to offer you a billion dollars a billion dollars or or a peanut shell, what would you choose? <laughs> Going from Catholic to Jehovah Witness is the same thing. You like my analogies? <laughs> Pretty graphic, huh? Never be able to forget that baby, huh? But, but, but true, I mean, you know, going to a false religion and just jettisoning the, the Eucharist, I mean, there's no rhyme or, or reason to that, huh? But the, the, following the reasoning behind that, the false reason behind that is because <laughs> maybe they never believed in the Eucharist in the first place. <clears throat> I have been uh, teaching catechism for close to 50 years. Long time, huh? Uh, when I was 14, my, my mom, 13, I think, 13, 14, my mom was, uh, she, she had no, another one of her many children, no? So I, 14 years old. And my mom would, would teach uh, CCD there in New Jersey. She said to me, either go to CCD or teach it. And I said, I, I prefer to teach it. So I took her class and I started teaching when I was 14, no? You can see how God was preparing me because now I'm obviously as a, as a priest, you're a teacher, right? And now I'm basically I'm teaching the parents of the kids. Even though if you put me in front of the little kids, I'd probably do better than the than the, the, the catechists anyway. Uh, but I say this at the end of the year, and this makes the parents feel uncomfortable. If your child does not want to go to Mass on Sunday, and he's about to make his first communion, he's not ready. Period. <laughs> they got ants in their pants. They're really squirming, no? <laughs> oh, Cucarachas. I mean, they just feel kind of... <laughs> and I, 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 I'll, I'll say it a couple weeks. We're in you know, May, late May, early June. Your child, if you gotta, if you gotta um, bribe him, coax him, or throw a rope around him and pull him like a donkey into the car, 
was kicking and he's yelling, he doesn't want to go. Hey, he's not ready. And there are kids that are in that condition, no? So if we had a smaller program, I would talk with every child before we make their first communion. And say, if you don't want to go to you don't want to go to Mass on Sunday, then you're not ready to receive communion. Usually the problem is that the parents don't go themselves, no? So if they don't go themselves, how are the kids going to go? Or the parents, they are, they're caliente bancas, no? They're, you know, the caliente bancas, you know, you're a bench warmer, huh? Yeah. You just go there to occupy space, no? And when people are getting up to communion, they kind of have to climb over them. They almost want to kick them, okay? Uh, what, what type of example are they giving? You're living with, you're, you're living with, 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 with Lupe for 20 years. What type of example are you giving to Junior? That, that, that deserves the Millstone Award, right? Into the depths of the sea. You're a bad example to children. But do we really believe? Therefore, if you people want to go right to heaven, uh, do you? I, I could tell you. And I'm not going to be uh, adult or, or a simpleton, but uh, be as clear as possible. If you make a really fervent co uh, confession, you pray your rosary in front of the Blessed Sacrament, you pray for the Pope, and you try to get sin out of your life, you make a fervent communion, your, your, your soul is like this. You die, you're ready. I think all of us, if we want to, we can go right to heaven, if you want to. But if you prefer 500 years in purgatory, that's your choice. And it's not a, it's not a, a mere ritual, but it's basic, basic, all of this is done out of sorrow for our sins and a real love for Christ. You've got to receive Christ with love. About two Sundays ago, um, 6.15, I had the 6.15 Mass in the morning and the 7 o'clock because I have the theology course on Sunday in which I'm basically the whole morning teaching. Uh, after communion, I sat down in silence. The choir stopped singing uh, for about five minutes. And I told the people that was the most important five minutes, five minutes in your week by far. By far. No brainer. Those five minutes were the most important five minutes in your week. At least they, they should be. They should be. Now, if during those five minutes you were just yawning Scratching your wig, you know, if you got a wig, la paluca, or, um, you know, scratching your nose, yawning, looking at Father Bloom and saying, oh, pobrecito, está cansado, pobrecito, no? Um, and you're just looking at me, poor guy, he's falling asleep, he's had a tough day, no? Okay. 
you don't receive basically anything. Because I don't think you understood what happened when you received communion. And this is another topic I'd like to develop. No? Those five minutes, you got Christ in the depths of your soul. Thank Him. Love Him. Beg Him. He wants to give us he wants to give us so many graces and there we are distracting, looking at the poor priests or killing killing gnats. Scratching our nose, no? Uh, I'll make a prophecy now. Probably on the Day of Judgment, the biggest regret in the whole world from the time of Jesus came to earth until we die will be how the world did not appreciate the gift of the Eucharist. That's my prophecy. And I really believe, sad to say, this prophecy is going to become a reality. Prove me wrong. You group, prove me wrong, I beg you. But I don't think you are. Human analogy. Okay, you invite me to your house for a meal. Okay, you invite me for a meal. Okay, okay the, the meal is prepared. I come ten minutes late. I rush in the door. I see a ham sandwich there with my name next to it. And I grab it, and we have an American expression, eat and run. I chow down, as we say in New York. Huh? Yeah. Right? Chow down, eat and run. And then I'm out the door. I don't even say thanks. What, your, what will your family say? I have another New York expression. That guy is a rude dude. He is, huh? <laughs> Spanish, maleducado este tipo. Huh? You, you'd probably be shocked at my, at my rudeness, no? Don't we do the same thing in Mass, though? Hello? We come in late. We rush out in the parking lot as if our pants were on fire. And there we are, old granny, the Sunday driver, you know that expression? <laughs> old granny, the Sunday driver, is, is trying to pull her car out. And we honk the horn at her, no? <laughs> and we just received Holy Communion. <laughs> Am I far from the truth? Oh. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Catholicism. <laughs> welcome to modern Catholicism. <laughs> what a motley group of individuals, huh? Yeah. Now I think uh, we, we have we have to be we have to be more professional. Um. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a one sport, one team man. I love baseball. And I like the best team in the American League now. American League. No, American League. American League, I said. I like the Yankees. Yankees all the way. <laughs> 
But I was I was watching them, and I, I just I I, I, I admire I, I, I really admire professional expertise. I was watching ten of the greatest home runs in the history of baseball, starting from Babe Ruth, and then Roger Maris, yeah. yeah, Catholic, no, and then uh, Hank Aaron converted to Catholicism. Then you Californians, Barry Bonds, no? Mark McGuire. And I was watching, just, just seeing how these, how these men are able to hit the ball almost to football fields. No? And they're able to throw the ball. You know the fastest ball ever thrown in baseball? You know? You know who threw it? A Cuban. He's a Yankee reliever. This is Arnaldo's Chapman, 105 miles per hour. Can you imagine, you imagine, do you know the distance? 60 feet. But it's less than 60 because when the pitcher, because I, I, I was a pitcher before, at least when I was in high school, when you're throwing the ball and you're falling over, it's really only about 55 feet. Imagine the ball coming at 105 miles per hour, 55 feet. Your reaction time must be a hundredth of a second. But you no, know, no. My point is this: I'm not teaching you baseball today. <laughs> but if these these men, they are so highly tuned in, in throwing a fastball, or maybe a slider, or a curveball, or uh, making these web gems, they call it web gems, is when they're able to make an incredible play in the field. Why do we have to be so, such a motley group of rinky-dink Catholics, no? See the parallel? It's kind of sad, no? We can, be, we can be the most mediocre of mediocres and welcome to the club. Whereas in a professional area of sports or medicine in this country, you've got to be top-notch, right? That's why I think we should, we should try to pursue holiness. Not say, okay, here in your tombstone here lies Miss Mediocre. She wouldn't kill a fly or a mosquito. <laughs> now, I think if you take these exercises seriously, they can really help you to grow in holiness. If you take them seriously. Amen? Amen. So, love the Eucharist. Prove me wrong that starting today, the Eucharist is going to be the very center of your life. There was once a boy who was about 13, went to church in the morning, and then uh, one of the teachers there didn't see him in class. And the whole, the whole morning went by, three to four hours, and, they, and the teacher said, where is Dominic? His name was Dominic Savio. And he uh, said, well, we haven't, we haven't seen him in the class this morning. Someone said, well, maybe check the church. And they went to the church, and he had one foot on top of the other and his arms crossed. And Don Bowser said, Dominic, why didn't you go to class? He said, is the mass already over? 
He was there in a Eucharistic ecstasy for four hours. Thirteen years old. Here we can't even we can't even wait three minutes because we're in a hurry to go get our our Dunkin' Donuts, huh? That's why his name is Saint Dominic Savio. Those are those are the great Hall of Fame for us, the Catholics, the saints. Amen. Okay, this week should be the best week in the exercises because this week, the ninth week, is the week in which we're going to be meditating upon the passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Passion of Christ. We want to be begging for the grace to be willing to suffer for Christ, at least in some little way to be able to suffer for Christ. We don't want to be a fair-weathered friend. You know what that means? You're only there during the party, but the funeral you take for the hills. We want to be with our Lord as we were last week in these beautiful miracles that he's carrying out, his preaching, his teaching. But we want to go with him to Calvary too. Uh, begging for the grace to be a willing, willingness to suffer for Christ and with Christ. So, uh, before going through a meditation with you, I'd like to make some suggestions to help you to really live this week out to the best. To supplement, but not to supplant, okay? These exercises. First, I would suggest uh, read the, the pa passion narratives in the gospel. They are Matthew 26:27, Mark 14:15, Luke 22:23, and John 18:19. So you have those memorized now, so you can. 14:15. Uh, you can't read all the eight chapters, read at least two of the chapters of one of the Gospels to get to know what the, what the Bible says. The Bible recounts about the Passion of Christ. Next, make the way of the cross. Everybody made the, made the way of the cross? We got some really beautiful stations in the church, their stained glass windows. But you can't do them at night because it depends upon the light of the sun. But they're really good. Even I've, uh, I've written out the spiritual exercises for little children and it's utilizing images, okay? You haven't launched it yet, but I've already written out the spiritual exercises for children, yeah. Yeah. Any of you have any children? And so we're going to do it, right? Right, Mary? Yes. Uh, we've been thinking um, about uh, 
four, four or five, you know? Oh, yeah. sweet. Now, well, Mary, I worked with Mary. We, we finished it two years ago. And uh, we already have it, just a matter of if we have mothers that would like to do it, or grandmothers would like to do it, it could be done. And it would be such that where you have, basically what's going to happen is you come, I would give a little talk, we give these big pictures and very short prayers, and they're not going to be an hour, doing an hour, they're going to be like five minutes, no? But it all depends on training the mothers, because the mothers, after explaining it those, that week, the whole week, the mother has to show the picture of Mary, explain it, and then look at it, and talk to Mary for a minute, and give Mary a kiss. And uh, uh, I, I think that it, ha it almost has to be done because the world trying to poison the minds of children. Oh, yes. So this is a way in which it can prevent the poisoning of the children. What do you think? Yes. 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 Fine. It's well done. And we've got, we've got these beautiful pictures and we're relying a lot upon images and pictures and then relying upon the mother, no? I could, I could do it, I, I could probably do it maybe even better than the mother, but you know, a mother, they're your child. I, I, know how to, I know how to go down to the level of a child and use very simple language. I mean, just, I can do that. But if, and if you're a mother, <laughs> you know what a child is, right? <laughs> you know how to talk to your child, I hope you do. And you look at a big picture like that. Okay, explain it and say, now look at Mary, just look at how much she loves you. Tell her you love her and give her a kiss. Then you got a foundation where we're engraving these beautiful images of Jesus and Mary in the little minds of these children, which, you know, they're going to be there for all eternity. Because everything is, everything is at least is, is in the subconscious. It's like we've got archives up here, right? Right. I love the exercises so much, so I, I work with Eric and Mary, and I'm, I, have many, I have many limitations, but one of my gifts is I'm very creative. I'm very creative. You give me a weekend or, or a weekend, I can create new programs, and, and I, I move pretty quick. I'm going to have people to help me out. I'm the idea man, then they got the subcontractors and the contractors and the builders. Gotcha. I'm, the, oh, yeah. I'm the idea man, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll launch it sooner or later, yeah. Yes? Uh, we, ha we haven't done it yet. It was just any, for example, Five of you mothers, it could be the father too, maybe even better. So you got five mothers come in with their children, they're four years old, five years old. Come in and give a little talk. Okay, they're going to meditate this week on the joyful mysteries. And we got these really big pictures of, say for example, uh, Mary talking with the angel. The Annunciation. You explain it in your own words. Okay? Find your own words, and then you have the child look at it, and you maybe lead the prayer, then help the little child to formulate his or her little prayer. And at the end, come up and maybe kiss the heart of Mary. And you could, you, 
could even do a coloring. Okay, now like you maybe color a little picture of Mary and write a little uh, I love you. Like the idea? It's out there. I mean, I had this idea five years ago, and it took maybe six months to be able to compose it. It's out there. Right, right now what I'm doing is uh, tomorrow, tomorrow uh, at this time, I'll be here with this room full, close to 100 teenagers, and I've, I'm doing a consecration program to teenagers. Why not? I mean, they're even, they're even in, in, in more serious risk, right? Teenagers, yeah. Why not? You know what a teenager is? You used to be one, right? <laughs> a tough stage. It's a tough time. If they can, if they can do this well, and so their program is your program cut in half. Meditate a half hour a day, five days a week. It's done well. I think if I were a teenager, a teenager, I were aware of this, I'd probably be the Archbishop of Cardinal of New York now. I mean, I didn't, I didn't even know, I didn't even know this existed. No. So there's a lot of a lot of different ways we can work to save people. Drop the nets, huh? Next is uh, pray the sorrowful mysteries this week. Right? Then, give up something you like. A little bit of, you like that? Not that much, okay. <laughs> Even though you, you, I saw you recoil at that, when, 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 you, when you, the whole idea makes you recoil. But once it's done, you experience a lot of peace. Maybe you've never given up something yet in your life. But it, when, when that happens, once you say no to yourself, even there's a struggle because we're egotistic, that comes from original sin. Once you ever say no, there's peace and joy in the depths of our heart. Maybe try it once. Give up that Oreo cookie in the morning. Okay? Instead of your typical three three milkshakes, one and a half, okay? <laughs> okay, then another thing that we suggest is uh, good movies. Ignatius would definitely suggest this. Good movies, because the movies have present really good images, graphic images. One I would suggest is Father Patrick Payton, who said the family that prays together stays together. You've heard that. He came to Hollywood about 60 years ago, and he made the movie, The Mysteries of the Rosary. Did you know that? Yes. And you have the joyful, the sorrowful, and the glorious, and they're really well done. And you never see the face of Christ, though. So it's anonymous. You have to try to imagine it. So you might, you might eventually, try, you could probably even Google it in YouTube and see it. You might be able to do that. But you might even get a DVD version of it, The 15 Mysteries of the Rose by Patrick Payton. What's it called? Mysteries of the Rose. The Family Theater is Father Patrick Payton, who said the family that prays together 
stays together. Another one you might like is Marcelino Panevino. Sad to say, there's some versions that, ca- that have come out about maybe five years ago. Four or five years ago, I, I went to see one that came out publicly, and it was terrible. They adulterated it. They, they, they just, uh, it was really bad. The first one came out in Spain, and then another, the second one came out in Mexico. But the original versions are very good. Have you seen it? You like it? You have this little orphan boy that's placed at the uh, doorstep of the Franciscan uh, Franciscan monastery, and they adopt him. When the kid grows up, he's about four or five years old, he starts to wander around in the big monastery, goes up to one of the upper rooms, and on the wall he sees a cross. Jesus on the cross. He starts to talk to him. And they get to know each other. And they start to become friends. And really good friends. And then he goes back another time and he looks and he's, he's kind of the, the skinny, the bones are jutting from his rib cage. So he decides a skinny person is probably someone who doesn't eat enough. So he goes in the kitchen and brings some bread. Marcelino, pan y vino. So if you eat dry bread, you're probably going to be thirsty, right? So the vino. <laughs> So he brings Jesus some bread, Jesus thanks him and eats the bread, then he brings some wine, Jesus drinks the wine. And every time he goes, the conversation is going deeper and deeper and deeper. They're becoming really good friends. Then he notices that Jesus on the cross, he's pretty cold because he doesn't have any clothes to cover his body. So he goes in his room and he takes the covers off his bed and gives that to Jesus that night. So he got to sleep without his covers. Then he recognizes that on the head of Jesus there's a very sharp crown of thorns. That must hurt. That must cause a lot of pain. So he gets a ladder, he climbs up the ladder with these little tender hands, he takes the crown of thorns off the head of Jesus. So the friendship is going deeper and deeper and deeper. But there's always been something that, that has bothered Marcelina. He never experienced the love of a mother. He's always been in this convent with these priests and these brothers. And he arrives at the point where he really wants to open up his heart to Christ. And he says, Lord, do you have a mother? Of course. What she's like? Oh, she's the best. How was she? Very tender, very kind, very loving, very merciful. He said, can I see her? You really want to see her? course. Thunder and lightning and the little boy falls back and he dies to be taken up in the arms of Mama Mary in heaven. There's the movie. That's the purpose of these exercises. We're all called to be Marcelina Panavina. Got it? That's the basic thrust of this program, is that movie I've just explained to you in five minutes. We're called to get to know Christ. We're called to talk to Christ. 
We're called to help Christ. We're called to console Christ. We're called to repair for Christ. We're called to open up and to unload. As Peter says, cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. <laughs> and he says, come to me, all of you are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm meek and humble of heart. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen? That's the essence of this program in a nutshell. Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said that, right? If you know English well, childish and childlike are two different words. Childish means you're immature. Childlike means you're innocent and you're humble and you're simple. Beautiful virtues that are so pleasing to Christ. And then finally, another movie you can see is The Passion of Christ by Mel Gibson. Have you heard of it? It's a tough one. But you ought to try to see it not simply as a Hollywood rendition, but try to see it, try to see it like a prayer. As a prayer. See it as a prayer. And when you see it, I would suggest that you see it with um, pen and paper and you jot down what are the scenes that seem to captivate you most. And those scenes can be brought into your prayer. This is, there's, a, there are, there's a lot of scenes. It's from Holy Thursday night all the way until the very end of Good Friday, right? Passion of the Christ. Okay, there we have um, some suggestions to really make this week the best week of the exercises for you. So there's much, so much to be said in the Passion of Christ. Uh, Last night I spoke about the characters of the Passion. Sunday spoke about the seven last words. With you, I'd like to take one of the sorrowful mysteries. I'd like to take and just go through some points and reflections in the first sorrowful mystery. Let's go into the Garden of Gethsemane. Let me give you some, some scenes and then allow the Holy Spirit to do the rest. He'll do much better than me. Okay, that's, it's a bridge between the, the eighth week and the ninth week, which you just finished. Because the eighth week and the ninth week, the bridge is the Last Supper. 
you're entering to, into what is called the Paschal Mystery. And if you ever go to, you know, if you know the whole context of the liturgy, you enter into what is called the Easter Triduum, which is Holy Thursday, Good Friday. Holy Saturday, which culminates in Easter Sunday. So the, uh, the, the Last Supper is concluded. Judas has gone off to betray our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And he says that the devil enters into Judas. And Catherine Emmerich uh, shows the devil entering in, the devil going before him, and the devil egging him on. So there are actually three devils in, in Emmerich. No? The devil enters in him. That's private revelation, but I kind of like it. The devil enters into him, and then the devil leading him, another one kind of pushing him on. No? So uh, a word on that a word on that person of Judas because he's going to be entering into the Garden of Gethsemane. Why did he do it? I know what you're thinking. Avarice. I'm not totally wrong, but I don't think you're hitting the nail on the head. Average greed, right? Because he would take from the money. He was a he was a treasurer and he would help himself. So it says that he was a thief. But I would go beyond that. Fulton Sheen says this. The primary reason for the debacle and fall of Judas is that he fell out of love for Christ. Why do we sin? We fall out of love for Christ. Right? The external actions are only a reflection of the fact that our love for Christ has grown cold. And we cling to false gods. Called idolatry. Cling to false gods. As Thomas Aquinas says, if you do not love Christ, you don't love God, you can establish some other false god in your life. It's called idolatry. So Jesus leaves the upper room, the cynical, called the cynical, the upper room, and he heads along the valley of Cedron toward the place where he habitually prayed. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Olives. He had a set place where he prayed. Now the apostles... Walking with Jesus, recognize something very different. Up to this point, Jesus has always had perfect commanding control of the situation. Now they notice him different. They notice him fear, fearful. They've never, they've never seen this before. Whenever they try to set a trap for him, Jesus has always been able to confound them. 
give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what, wow. <laughs> really shut them up, didn't he? But now they seem fearful. She arrives at the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is where you can utilize the film of Mel Gibson, which is just a masterpiece. Imagine the full moon. Imagine the trees, and the, you can see the, um, the trees and the branches kind of blown by the wind. Do you know the word eerie, what that means? Yes. It's kind of eerie. Kind of scary, like a, like a terror movie, huh? And the apostles are divided into three groups. Judas is going off to betray Jesus. Then eight of them, it's interesting how, how they may, they say the distance that a man can throw a rock. How far can you throw a rock? I can probably throw one when I'm in, when I'm, when I'm in a good mood, about 80, maybe 80 yards, no? You might be able to throw 30, but my baseball expertise, I can still wing it. Let's <laughs> say maybe 50 yards, okay? It's kind of interesting. The other were 50 yards away. Then he takes three of them that are so close that they can even touch him. That's Peter, James, and John. There he is with three of his best friends. Peter, James, and John. And he says, stay here. Stay here with me. Let's, let's draw some conclusion. Jesus, Jesus wanted, he wanted friends. Jesus suffered loneliness. Have you? Jesus suffered abandonment. Jesus suffered misunderstandings. In the very critical moment of his life, he wanted someone to be there with him. How about you? We, 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 see, we, we see the humanity of Christ. I mean, he's like us in all things except sin, right? You could also utilize, if you like, Mel Gibson has the, has the devil come in there, right? Remember that? devil appears like a man, then a woman. They can seem to be like a amorphous man and woman. And then there's a huge snake. Remember that? And Satan comes and the snake is coming out of his nose. You don't remember that, do you? I don't. I certainly do. <laughs> Pretty ugly. Remember that, Jim? Yeah, there's a little, little worm that's coming out of his yeah. And uh, very eerie. In the conversation, what hit me most is that the price of redemption, it's too hard. You can't do it. Have you ever been tempted to give up? To give in discouragement, to throw in the towel. Hello? <laughs> Every day, right? Well, Jesus was tempted to, be, to give in discouragement, to give up, throw in the towel, not to finish the race. 
So see if you can identify this with your own life. And he's praying. He's praying really fervently. And this is the prayer he says. You listening? He says, Father, if it be possible, use the word Abba, which means Daddy, if it be possible, let this chalice pass for me, but not my will, your will be done. That's his prayer. You could spend a whole hour just on those words. There's a lot there. Abba, very... It's a beautiful prayer, actually. It's not just father, but daddy. Spanish, papi. In Italian, babo. In French, mon cher père. <laughs> Abba, father, if it be possible. What? You know what? I see, if it be possible, what reverence and humility. How reverential Christ is. And how, how humble. He's not pl placing his conditions on God the Father, but he's submitting with utmost humility to the will of the Heavenly Father. Father, if it be possible, remove this chalice from me. You know what a chalice is when you go to Mass, right? You know, it's where the wine is, where the precious blood of Christ is consecrated. You know that. But chalice in biblical terms almost always refers to suffering. As well as the hour. My hour has not yet arrived. Those are biblical terms that almost always refer to some type of suffering. Father, if it be possible, remove this chalice from me. However, not my will, but your will be done. The secret of holiness is discovering, discerning God's will and carrying it out. That's the secret of holiness. Discerning, discovering God's will and then carrying it out. That's, that's what holiness consists in. Colby says, Small w equals big W. Our will united with God's will. That's holiness. Then he lifts up his gaze and Peter, James, and John, what are they doing? He's sleeping. Taking their siesta, huh? Have you ever fallen asleep in your holy hour? Yes. <laughs> Welcome to the Apostles Club, huh? <laughs> Glad to know. Fulton Sheen said on one occasion, I think it was in Europe during his holy hour, a little bit later, I think he did it like at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. He almost always did it early in the morning. And he said that he... 2 o'clock, he, he looked at his watch at 2 o'clock, then he looked at his watch again, it was 3 o'clock, and he, he just, he dozed the whole hour. And when he woke up, he said, Lord, did I make my whole hour? And he heard this voice, exactly like the apostles. <laughs> hopefully it'll be the last. Exactly like the apostles, hopefully it will be the last.
stay awake and pray. He goes back to pray again. And he pray, you know, he, he actually prays the same prayer. Did you know that? So the Protestants say you shouldn't repeat prayers. Our Lord said the same prayer. Actually, it's going to be three times. He doesn't change the words. I find that fascinating. I mean, here you have God talking to God. I mean, no memory problem there, right? <laughs> Father, if it be possible, remove this chalice from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He lifts up his gaze, and there they are again. Guess what? Are you falling asleep now? <laughs> yeah. They were asleep again. Stay awake and pray so that you are not put to the test. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's a good teaching, isn't it? Stay awake and pray so that you do not put to the test because the spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. The primary reason why we fall into sin is because of lack of prayer or mediocre, poor prayer that we do. I repeat, the primary reason why we sin Either we don't pray or we pray poorly. I have a, a joke book that someone gave me and it's, uh, <laughs> it's like a family sitting at the table and there's a little kid, he's about eight or nine years old and they're saying the prayer before the blessing. There's like the pie on the table and the kid is not paying attention at all to the prayer but the pie. <laughs> <laughs> the pie of, uh, above God, huh? <laughs> There's an examination of your life. Look at your life. You fell into sin when you gave up prayer, right? You know, almost prove it mathematically. Okay. No prayer, look at this, a lot of sin. A lot of prayer, very little sin. A lot of prayer, a lot of trials though, right? A lot of crosses. But God gives the grace, right? He gives the grace. You can almost prove it mathematically though. When I wasn't praying, I was living in sin. You know why a lot of people don't want to pray when they're in sin? Because they don't want to give up their sin. <laughs> Two of the strongest uh, proverbs in the Old Testament are the following. You ever read the proverbs? They're pretty good. Mm -hmm. One is, the dog returns to his vomit. Yeah. You ever read that one? It's pretty strong. And sometimes it happens. All the vomit, you'll go, you'll go back and smell a little bit. No. And a sow. Do you know what a sow is? It's a, a female pig, S-O-W, sow, wallows in her mire. 
know what that means? Wallows means revuelca, if you speak Spanish. Means uh, rolls around in the mire. A few years ago, my, I, I, have a, I have a younger sister, and she lived in New Jersey, and she had a farm. A farm. And uh, she, had a, she had a pig. And I'd never, I mean, I've, I think I've ever really looked at a pig. I think maybe in, a, maybe in the zoo I've seen a pig, but I really never, never contemplated the pig, okay? Never did a, <laughs> never did a, a, a pig contemplation. But <laughs> well, given that I was there and I had some free time, I went, I went to the pig pen. And it's true. The, the, the pig was in this, basically in mud, it was just, going around and around and eating the mud. I said, this is pretty, pretty, <laughs> this is good preaching material, you know? <laughs> and exactly what the proverb says. Now they say the pigs are pretty strong animals. If you, if you fall into that, the pig could tear you to pieces and devour you. Because they're strong and they're heavy and they got sharp teeth. So never fall into the pig pen, okay? We get someone to fish you out, okay? <laughs> okay, so then what happens, then what happens is that Jesus actually sweats blood. Did you know that? Did you know that? He actually sweats blood. So a book that was written maybe about 90 years ago, a doctorate, doctorate Calvary, by image, image publishers, where his doctor did in-depth detail on the passion of Christ. Really well done. And I plan to read it for Lent, and I only read about five or six pages. No, but uh, very interesting. They say that when someone is going through a lot of pressure the pores can actually open out and you can actually sweat not just blood but big drops of blood. Then your flesh becomes very, very tender and you either have paralysis or you die. Or your flesh remains really tender. What happened shortly after that? So that would be the, the doctor would be able to explain it better than me, but when someone is under a lot of pressure, it can happen, like in concentration camps in the time of Hitler, in Auschwitz. Now, what is the, what is the, what is the moral or spiritual cause of, of that? Well, the book of Hebrews states that Jesus became sin for us. Which all of those sins of the world, all the sins of the world descended upon Jesus like a torrential downpour of rain. The sins of Adam and Eve, the sins of Cain and Abel, the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, the sins of Adolf Hitler, the sins of Joseph Stalin, all your sins, my sins, sins from the north and the south, east and west, they came showering down upon him like a torrential downpour of rain and it crushed him like the olive that's crushed 
in the wine press, like a grape that's pressed in the wine press, crushed. That's the reason of the shedding of the blood. Shedding the blood, the, the sweating of the blood. However, it has to be underlined and emphasized. The primary reason why Jesus suffered so much shedding blood is that he knew from all eternity that there would be people that would be rejecting his passion and death and suffering and resurrection. That was the greatest cause of his suffering. If I can spell that out clearly, is that he knew despite everything that he's going to go through for all of humanity and all of us individually, some people would choose to go to hell. And that just caused him a mortal anguish. I think for parents today, they can experience this. Parents, they've loved their kids to death and they hit a certain age where they just abandoned the practice of the faith. Isn't that true? Is that a cause of suffering? Well, you can talk to Jesus about that in the Garden of Gethsemane. He went through it for you. The other day I had an experience which is pretty common. Is his mother brings her daughter in to see me. And the daughter, she's like 15, 16 years old, totally turned off to God. And the mother is bending over backwards to help the daughter, getting her counseling, praying for her, bringing to church, getting, you know, bringing her from Pasadena to talk to me. Um, and then uh, you know, I, I, I bend over backward to try to encourage her. And the whole half-hour conversation, the girl never opened up her mouth to say one word. <laughs> I see that as the garden experience that we sometimes experience. Is that the, I told the I told the daughter the person that really loves you most in this world is God, of course, but then your, your mother. And sometimes I'll tell them this, there's only one person that loves you, first God and your mother, there's only one other person maybe loves you more than your mother. Who's that? Probably Father Broom. <laughs> because I'm not, your, uh, and I, I don't have an emotional bond with you, but I really, I want the salvation of your soul probably more than your mother. And they're kind of floored when they hear that. But I think they, they recognize that it's true. Because a maternal love is one thing, but a supernatural love far transcends it. you agree with that? Yeah. yeah. The girl never saw me before. She's never going to see me again. Well, that priest, he, he really threw a curveball at me. I wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> Is not, love is not simply an emotion, but a love is an, the definition of Aquinas. Remember, love is willing to go to the other. What is the greatest good of the other? The salvation of the soul, right? Salvation of one's soul is the greatest love, right, Jim? 
So let me give you another scene. Are you listening? Yes. In this mortal anguish where Jesus is sweating blood, God the Father sends him consolation. God the Father sends him an angel. Maybe you've seen some pictures of Jesus sweating blood and there's an angel that's actually embracing Jesus. You ever see that? Good one, right? The angel is consoling Christ. I'm going to tell you who that angel is. That's you. That's you. Astro, that's you. That's you. Wow. That's you. We're all called to be that angel. Yes. Wow. What? Earthquake. Earthquake. Oh. Wow. I didn't feel that. I still barely. God has to send earthquakes in our life, right? Yes. He has to send moral earthquakes. He has to send us, right? Physical earthquake is a parallel to a moral earthquake that God has to send to wake us up, right? My words are powerful. <laughs> so, um, you're... You're, you're all called to be that angel. You're called to be the angel of consolation. You will have to try to do that. To try to console Christ. Tell him thank you. Tell him you're sorry. Tell him you're sorry for your sins and the sins of the world. Tell the Lord that you really love Him. Tell the Lord you only want to give yourself totally to Him. Tell the Lord that you want to um, work with Him for the salvation of souls. Tell the Lord that you really appreciate the fact that He, he suffered for you and He shed His precious blood for you. Amen? Amen. And then Ignatius, uh, with respect to the grace that we're begging... He also makes this point. 
that Jesus, when he suffered and died, he suffered and died not simply for the huge, amorphous mass of humanity, but he suffered for you individually. If you are the you are the only person in the world, Jesus would have suffered everything in his passion just for you. The agony in the garden, the scourging at the pillar, the crowning with thorns, the carrying of the cross, the nailing of his hands, the nailing of his feet. He suffered all that for you. As if you're the only person in the world. How important you are in the eyes of God. The physical cause of the death of Christ were many, but especially these. Exhaustion, loss of blood, and suffocation. He had to pull himself up to inhale and exhale, right? Those are the physical causes. The moral reasons for the death of Christ are two. They are, he suffered to show us the gravity of sin. We want to give up sin. And also he died especially to show us the depths of his love. Those are the two moral, spiritual reasons why he died. Show us the gravity of sin. We've been trying in this course to try to give up sin. But what motivates us more than anything else to give up sin is the love of God for us. If we really love God, that's why Fulton Sheen says sin is hurting the one you love. And the reason why Judas betrayed Jesus because he fell out of love for Christ. So this, we hope, will be the best week in your life. Amen? Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among them, and blessed the fruit of our Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners, now and at the hour of death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God bless you and see you next week. Okay? Thank you. Hello, this is international Catholic singer Anna Nuzzo, inviting you to join me and Father Dan Cambra of the Marian Fathers on a select international tours Divine Mercy pilgrimage to Poland and the Czech Republic. It takes place in September of 2019, and we would love for you to join us. For more information, go to my website, AnnaNuzzo.com. Thank you, and God bless. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com Featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. 
For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com for faith, fellowship, and love.